0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Jack Talks To. How you doing? Hope you're well. My name is Jack and for those of you that are new here, this podcast is all about where I sit down and have a live, unedited conversation with friends of mine, People I know, individuals who've got a very interesting perspective on something, or they've had an experience, or they have knowledge over something. And I basically sit down, ask them a very simple question. We open a beer and we deep dive right into that topic. And to prove that this podcast is live and unedited, you can actually see the video of us recording it because it goes out first as a live stream on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Jack versus Live. So you can go over there and see the video of this. And this week's episode, episode five, I'm joined with my friend Una Ryder possibly the coolest name of all time. And Una is a big voice in the campaign for prison abolition, which is basically getting rid of prison. So I sit down and have a beer with Una and ask, is it time to get rid of prisons? So without further ado, kick back, relax, have a beer, smoke a doobie. I'll let past Jack take over as he introduces Una in this week's episode of Jack Talks To You. And this week, I'm joined with Una Ryder. How do you doing, Una. Yeah, You're right.
1: Good. Thanks. Yeah. Good.
0: Is this your first live stream experience? Because you've done a lot it of podcasting is. before.
1: Yeah, I've done a lot, but it's not live. Yeah, I record it and then I edit it. And yeah, I, like take out all the stupid stuff I say. Yeah, so this is yeah, this is my first live thing. Well,
0: luckily for us, um, there'll probably be only about three or four people watching the live three, version, three. so it's all about the podcast here. Um, but thanks so much for coming on; I really appreciate it. Um, I'll just introduce yourself to for everyone uh, who's who's listening. Um, Uni, you spent the last five years working in the voluntary sector in the criminal justice, uh, in criminal justice, um, and you're currently working as an admin and research assistant, uh, assistant for a small charity that supports pregnant women and new mothers in prisons and in the community. Uh, alongside our friend Sam Swan, uh, you also host the Lockdown, a podcast about prisons and the criminal justice system on Navarra Media. Um, so, how, how long have you been doing that podcast for? Uh,
1: we started in. November last year, so um, a few months.
0: And how, how many episodes are there?
1: I think 13 at the moment, okay. yeah.
0: And you're just gearing it for the next season of them?
1: Season two is coming in September, hopefully, right. haven't recorded any of it yet, but <laughs> that's the plan.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in, guys. So this week is all about, um, is it time to get rid of prisons? Um, and this is a subject which um, I find really interesting. I don't know a huge amount about it, which we're probably going to find out during this conversation. Um, but obviously with your background, Una, you're is quite well educated on the matter. I just Before we get into things, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself, about how it is you got involved in this debate, in this topic.
1: Yeah, people ask me this a lot because obviously it's... Uh- all I do is go on about prisons. But it's quite niche. I mean, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, I've not got like that much of a good answer. Like you normally think someone would be like, Oh, I've got a family member in prison or, you know, I've had this experience. Um, but I think for me, um, probably started off by becoming involved in activism. So I was, when I was at university, I was involved in a movement called climate camp, right? Uh, which had a, there was a lot of police surveillance. Um, and I was arrested just, once, like, I mean, nothing. Like, I was just literally on a protest, got arrested, and was in a cell for six hours, and then... So how, how long ago was this? 2009. Okay. Um.
0: And how old were you then, so...? I was 22,
1: okay. 21, maybe maybe 20, I don't know. Around there. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it was fine. Like, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't the worst thing ever. But being in that cell and having that experience with the police and being in a situation where you can... they they don't give a shit about you and how scary that is and sure. to be at the mercy of those people that kind of got me thinking like oh this is this is terrible sure and kind of the violence that we would experience on protests um or on direct actions um and then kind of taking that away and thinking oh well imagine if you live with this violence all the time sure. and me as like a white middle class person yeah i haven't lived with that violence but that was my that, Yeah. that
0: is um that's not that boring a story. That's actually quite good. So obviously you had an experience getting arrested which I I suppose a lot of people haven't had that similar experience. That's what really sort of galvanized you into I guess exploring the subject a little bit more um, and getting involved in um, in the debate a little bit. So, so yeah. that was way. But so that was. Um, so that
1: was when I was at university and I studied sociology. So, kind of like I did, you know, I studied like societal inequalities yeah. and the prison system a little bit. Um, and then when I left uni, I volunteered just a little while for um, what's called an appropriate adult. Yeah, uh, which is like a great great title for Loved a role. It. Um, But what that means is that, so anyone who's under 17 who gets arrested or um, an adult who might have learning difficulties or a mental health problem, um, they legally have to have what's called an appropriate adult there with them in the police interview. And normally that'll be like a parent or a social worker, but sometimes they don't have anyone who can come. Um, And so they have a team of volunteer appropriate adults to go in case um, that happens.
0: So the appropriate adults would be, would they be called by the police or by a sort of a middle party?
1: They'd be called by the police. um, And yeah, as I said, normally like a parent or something, but in areas, uh, basically like when they don't have someone to come for them, social services will arrange something or like there's areas where it's charities. So I was working for a charity doing that. And that meant that I met a lot of people in the police station, I was doing it over two years in Lewisham Police Station, met a lot of people at that crisis point of being arrested and I experienced how the police treated them even in front of me um, That's, that's and that insane. was really shocking for me.
0: Um, just before we go any further uh, we have just a little bit of hygiene the table tap if we tap the table it goes to the microphone oh. so we've got to basically just be a little bit don't worry the first I should episode, know that I should the, know. the first episode I was like banging. The t- I was like <laughs> yeah putting my hands all over the place so you'll notice I put my beard down like this I'm like uh, yep. gently um, that's do you mind me asking? ask so that was that a paid position being a
1: no that's a voluntary role so
0: that's totally voluntary yeah. I mean and you did that for how long sorry
1: I did it for two years yeah you
0: must I have... mean not
1: like full time I did I'm like sure. two nights a week yeah
0: god you must and it was usually that kind of time frame in at night time
1: yeah well I would do the evening shifts so because that's very commendable um,
0: I bet you must have seen some um, sort of some pretty uh, interesting scenes down like the police station at that time of night
1: definitely definitely and like the people that I met you know because they were either kind of was called a vulnerable adult yeah. um or they would be a child um were just in horrific situations and i could see that the way that they were being punished by the system for whatever had happened or and the way they're being treated was very very punitive and you know i would go into the police station and meet someone who was like literally suicidal and trying to get a police officer to give a shit about that was almost impossible
0: was that quite i mean did you have any training in that role i seem like to to you know deal with the police to deal with the individuals that you're helping
1: i mean not enough training i don't think we had training um and it's a role that i'm quite skeptical about now i think i'd struggle to go back to it right um why is that i think because of the lack of training the lack, lack of kind of status you have in that role it's very hard to challenge the police so you often feel like you're kind of working with them it's like that person making their jobs easier um and you're obviously not a lawyer like sometimes you'll be sitting in on police interviews and you're kind of expected to intervene if the person doesn't understand the questions and I didn't always feel equipped to know like how and when to do that you know god that
0: isn't that is unbelievable I mean I'm I'm trying to pitch myself in the if I could handle myself in that sort of situation and I can imagine the first time you um it must be a bit, sort of a bit of a baptism of fire getting involved in that kind of, that environment and that world. It can be
1: a little bit and not not really because of the people who are detained in the police station, but yeah. more because of working with the police and the kind yeah. of attitudes that you come up against sure. in those situations and trying trying to really be an advocate for someone that the police really aren't interested in hearing about yeah. or from. Wow. So, yeah, so that... that um, that kind of cemented my interest in it, I think.
0: So from that point on, so you um, spent two years, and this is obviously on, on the sidelines as a volunteer. Um, how, when did you start working um, essentially full-time within the sort of the prison sector?
1: Um, I've, I've kind of had various jobs like in the charity sector yeah. um, and I've never really done frontline work. So okay. I'm not gonna like pretend that I have that kind of expertise. It's yeah. all been kind of admin. Program support, project support, like policy work in various different charities. So I worked for a bit on um, like a Home Office-led youth crime prevention program. Um, I worked for a little while for a very small charity in Leeds that supports men when they come out of prison. Um, and then I was working in policy in another charity, kind of working sort of with the Ministry of Justice or. Acting as a critical friend to the Ministry of Justice to advocate for the voluntary sector.
0: God, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, guys, ask any questions uh, for Una while while she's here. Anything about the prison system, anything that you feel like her experience uh, would be able to uh, answer your questions. So, getting on to sort of the topic at hand, we, um, the topic of this is, is it time to get rid of prisons? And it's quite a provocative title because I guess this all sort of relates to something that you're extremely passionate about, which is prison abolition mm-hmm. right So for those that don't know, just give us a top line sort of uh, definition of what is prison abolition
1: mm-hmm. um so there's two sides to prison abolition. One is the kind of basic idea that you would expect, which is dismantling the prison system um and that's because abolitionists view the prison system as inherently Harmful. We mm. think it's a violent system um, to be caging people. Um, and we recognize that those people who are locked up are usually um, people who have experienced the most difficulties in life right. and people who are kind of really at the sharp end of our economic system right. and pe- the people who are most affected by uh, racism, for example. Right. Um, but the flip side to prison abolition, aside from kind of dismantling that system. Um, that is harmful the flip side is probably more important the flip side is about building so actually abolition is really about kind of building a society that doesn't feel the need to rely on prisons right so and this bit is really really broad so it might be things like provide having a society in which everyone has somewhere to live right so like a a big factor in people going to prison is becoming homeless right
0: Um, when they come out of prison
1: uh, before, well, out, when they come out and when and before, so like a thing that will bring people into prison because of the, the difficulties that are associated with being homeless and because yeah. of the ways that we criminalise homeless people. So, for example, uh, you can get uh, an ASBO, an antisocial behaviour order, um, for things like leaving your sleeping bag. on the street or being in a particular area of public space right okay and then once you have the antisocial behavior order it means if you break it so the police might say okay you can't come and beg in this spot again right and then if you break it you come back then then you've committed a criminal offense and then you can get pulled into the prison system um you know aside from that things like Uh, reforming the education system and making education more widely available another thing that we know is strongly correlated with imprisonment is exclusion from school Um, and also providing mental health support for everyone we i mean i think it's people pretty well aware there's a mental health crisis in this country and a crisis of the services um so providing that support that people need so they don't get to the point of maybe doing something harmful
0: so i'll interrupt there so in terms just on that little point there where it's um we have a crisis in this country with um the services that are in place at the moment is the whole idea of prison abolition a response to that crisis what i'm trying to get at here is would we have prisons you know at the start of the evolution of our society or is it something that has come as a result of a need to fix a crisis in in your opinion not the best way possible
1: well the history of the prison system is very interesting and right. I don't um I don't think there's much awareness of it. I think we kind of think of prisons as, as this institution that's always been around it's kind of timeless. And yeah,
0: I want to get into this like how so so this is quite interesting. I think it'd be good for anyone listening mm. like Take it back. to I mean, like, if you like, is the what's the genesis of prisons in a in a bit of a nutshell? Because I don't know anything about. Because I always thought, yeah, we've always had prisons, of course. You do something wrong, you get yeah, locked up. Yeah, I mean,
1: we've always, not always, but like four hundred thousands years, we've had like areas where you might lock someone away. Um, and particularly, kind of in the medieval period, it would be for things like not paying your debt, or yeah. you'd be locked up maybe uh, before you experience what would be a very like bodily painful punishment, like hanging or like being dismembered. Um, I'm not advocating that we go back to that but it's just to point out that this idea of imprisonment as a standardised kind of national response right. to um, to committing crime is actually really recent so the we didn't have a national prison system until like the early 1800s
0: are you kidding me? we didn't have a prison system until the 1800s?
1: not a national one right. so like there would in local areas there might be like right. local jails but like uh, this idea that kind of you know wherever you are if you transgress if you break the law you're at risk of going to prison is very very recent it's a few hundred years old yeah um and where that comes from actually is even more interesting so um development in the prison system was very much in response to um, particularly resistance to colonialism right so you find things like uh in jamaica the idea of a national prison system was starting to be experimented with 50 years before we had it in the UK and that was in a bid to keep the slave trade in place. Right. Um, so as a punishment for runaway slaves.
0: And that was a massive thing, I think, and my history isn't great here, but even um, at the um, when they got rid of slavery in America, there was, they used the prison system to sort of... Mm-hmm. Um, What's it um, Indentured servitude, where it's basically just arrest people and still put them back to work in exactly the same system as yeah. the sort of slavery. Yeah. So it's sort of, the same principle there as well?
1: Yeah, really a way to kind of manage resistance uh, to colonialism and capitalism. So again, you see it in India um, as a response to rebellions from the Indian people. Right. Um, and, you know, but if you look at our policing system in. Uh, so, Robert Peel, who's kind of hailed as the founder of the Metropolitan Police, before he did that job, he was the, um, sorry, I've got it written down, the yeah. chief chief secretary for Ireland. So, right. he was kind of managing the colonial government in Ireland and at a time of massive resistance and figured out that actually what's more efficient than having to bring the army in every time there's a resistance is to have this generalised surveillance and control of people. Um, and that's the police, was that prisons? So that was how policing was developed. Right, okay. Um, and, you know, I very much see policing in prisons as kind of, like, necessary for each, each other. Sure. Um, and then we saw that kind of model of policing brought back to the UK to then deal with workers' uprisings um, against the implementation of capitalism, because you have to remember that also the form of capitalism that we have now is similarly recent. Those things kind of developed at the same time. Right. So I guess from an abolitionist perspective one of the points is to say prison has never been about rehabilitation It's never been about making society better um, or caring for each other it's always been actually about putting down rebellion and kind of sweeping away those people who become inconvenient to capitalism either because they're resisting to it or because they've been kind of made disposable by it
0: that is fascinating so just so i'm sort of breaking it down for the sort of the jackisms in my head so essentially the it, it, it was a form of controlling uh, people who resisted a capitalist structure that was basically where our society was evolving around over the last few centuries um i get it, it almost reminds you the same principle as um the way that drugs have been criminalized particularly i don't know so much about the uk but in the us mm. over particular minorities it's almost like well the law had nothing to do with the actual drug itself it had to do with the people that uh, were effectively using this drug. And yeah. that was the form of suppression they were using in terms of uh, criminalizing drug, uh, drug use. Yeah. Um, so is it kind of like a similar, similar sort of principle with that sort of suppressing people who were resisting um, the, the government, so to speak.
1: Yeah, so what's very interesting about the history of prisons is that um, as the, I- the use of prison becomes more standardized um, and more state-led, you also see this development of the idea of the criminal. Yeah, um, which was kind of less of a prominent idea in culture before, um, before kind of around the eighteen hundreds. And this is after the enclosure acts, kind of uh, through the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, which forced people off the land they were living on and forced them into wage labour. And what that did was create a kind of class of people who could be viewed as disposable or right. had kind of been disposed of by the system. Who were landless, were struggling to feed themselves, were kind of going around trying to find work um, and trying to find wages um, and would often be kind of like forming in places and groups and like causing trouble for the administration or like the powers that be. And so what you see develop is this idea of the criminal who, who is kind of already predisposed to yeah. committing crime and being harmful and is kind of already dangerous. And it's it's used as a way to kind of blame these people who have been put in such an awful situation by this new economic system kind of for their own downfall
0: right i see that that is i mean it's so funny i mean i always just kind of when i think about you know as a layman who doesn't know much about this at all when i think of prison systems i literally just think that kind of you know from the history of it the sort of victorian era sort of jail cell like very quick like you know capital punishment being sort of like you get into prison you're basically it's a downward spiral no sort of Rehabilitation—it's sort of like lock them up, throw away the key, so on and so forth. So, hearing the whole point of this kind of um, anti-government sort of perspective on things is 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 quite amazing for for me. Um, in terms of sort of bringing it to like modern day, so um, wh- I always think about prisons as being, you know, obviously not great places. But what we get from sort of like the media. Is this whole word of rehabilitation, okay? Mm. Which is obviously massive for, for prisons. Now, the way I, I'm just going to tell you how I see it, and you just tell me how wrong I might be. <laughs> so, I would see it that certain prisons and certain crimes that are committed by by individuals, they would then receive. But part of going to prison is part of their rehabilitation. Essentially, they're being punished for a crime that they've done, um, and while they're inside, uh, they'll get three square meals a day. Um, they'll get certain resources like training or they'll do something to help them better their lives when they get out of yeah. prison. And that's part of their rehabilitation. Um, and uh, as the government would have it, never want to commit a crime ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like my overarching view of the prison system. What fundamental... How wrong am I there And like essentially... <laughs> or, or if anything, what is what um, is fundamentally what is wrong with prisons though like, why are they not a good thing at the end of the day mm-hmm. i know that's probably the biggest question you're probably going to get but it's just interesting because i'm sure there's a lot of people listening and watching going like oh i mean i mean it's interesting actually so yesterday when i told someone that i was going to do this podcast i said oh yeah i'm getting my friend una on. we're going to talk about um, getting rid of prisons and the first thing he said it was like what do you mean get rid of prisons like what so everyone's just running around criminals are just running around left mm. right and center and it's that thing where it's going, well, I don't think most people can even imagine a world without prisons. Yeah. Or they see prisons as a good thing. Yeah. Why would we want to get rid of them? So going back to the question, fundamentally, a sort of top line, what is fundamentally wrong with the prison okay. system?
1: Yeah, so if you um, if we start by just taking the system on its own terms... Okay. so the idea this idea that prison prison is kind of supposed to do two things it's yeah. supposed to deter people from yeah. committing crime by yeah. by punishing making examples of people um and it's supposed to rehabilitate people um so there's no evidence that it works as a deterrent um there's no correlation between kind of levels of prison population levels of crime really? no one's ever managed to prove that link um, and deterrent i think is quite do you, do you want just go
0: into that so you're so there is no concrete evidence to suggest yeah. that an individual who is willing to commit crime will be deterred by the fact that they will be put in prison
1: no. if they get caught that so it will depend on lots of different factors yeah. um on on the individual there's also kind of there's things to suggest that you know for example the the certainty of punishment is actually more more of a deterrent than what the punishment actually is so if you know that like you for sure will be punished that's more of a deterrent than like the possibility of going to prison right um but all this stuff is very muddy so what is true is that no one's managed to link kind of levels of prison population and levels of crime right i see and to make to uh kind of draw a causation between those two things yeah and then also, yeah, this idea of deterrent is is really, really difficult because what's a deterrent to one person might not be a deterrent sure. to another person, and particularly you know one person might have a lot to lose, one person might not have that much to lose sure. so there are examples of for example, homeless people committing crime in order to get into prison well this
0: this is what that's exactly what I was thinking yeah like you know you know you have some people go like you know it's probably the rhetoric of um you know, sort of people who, d- who don't probably know that much, be like, you know, these prisoners are getting treated so well in prison, they're getting all this meal, playstations, mobile phones, like some of them want to get arrested to just go in prison because it's so cushy. Mm. Um, so that, you know, that, that kind of opinion, I'm sure, is uh, you hear quite a lot. Definitely.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, we can probably go into that in more detail sure. in a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, my own personal opinion is that's an indictment of our our own society, like out in the community. Yes, if we're okay. really saying that it's better in prison sure. than out here. I don't think that says prison is great. I think that says out here is really appalling for, sure. for, for certain groups of people. Sure. Um, but just to come to the rehabilitation thing. Yes. As well. Um, so the reoffending rate is 49% within a year. 49% of people reoffend within a year of leaving prison. Whoa. And that statistic goes up. Um, obviously, like if you, go on two years or like three years or four years that statistic also goes up if you're looking at young people um and that's been pretty steady like more or less since prisons have been invented
0: that's just about to ask yeah so yeah. that's a very current what and uh, once again this is probably a whole video in itself but <laughs> why what are sort of top line reasons for that reoffension? like with the, so current- the
1: impact of prison on your life is right. is disastrous so okay. I think it's around about 50% um, of people will lose their jobs and they go into prison um, many many people lose their homes, about a third of people lose contact with their families so sure. you come out of prison um, often jobless homeless, when you leave prison you get £46 pounds and you get nothing else um,
0: when you leave prison you get £46 pounds, that's what, your discharge grant you get that a week when you get you know, out of prison. Yeah, you get...
1: That's it. It's a one-off payment.
0: <laughs> you get 50 quid when you leave prison and potentially without a job, without a home, without anything, you go, right, this is a yes. 50 pound. That's it. See, yeah.
1: You might be... You know, it depends on the area they sure. You might be lucky. and There might be, like, services that can support you. Um, but, yeah. You, you kind would. of have...
0: I have that as a film where I can have that image of that kind of classic, you know, the guy steps out of prison and then, like, his, you know, partner's there, like, mm. to pick him up, like, in the car or whatever and they go... And... You know that's quite rock and roll but 50 quid like with the potential of an individual having nothing after that point yeah. that's why i guess 50% re-offend, like, re-offending actually uh, yeah, kind of makes a lot of sense really
1: You can't get signed up to benefits while you're in prison um, and then when, so when you get out it takes you six weeks to get your benefits if yeah. you manage to get signed up straight away which is, can be difficult because people often don't have addresses Sure. people might not be in the right state to be able to get to the job centre yeah. particularly on their own um, so that first six weeks out of prison um, can be really dangerous for people and not just for reoffending, for like things like suicide risk Um, self-harm because the impact on mental health of coming out kind of destitute and usually with a significant amount of trauma from the time you spent inside it's kind of like you're in the worst possible situation
0: let me ask you is this is this like all the is this like kind of like for prisons up and down the country or is this like one or two particular prisons which are like this harsh are they all pretty?
1: Like how terrible? Well, they Well, just are.
0: yeah, like yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so they're all pretty harsh. I'm
0: just gonna reach over and get I a guess it bit. depends,
1: kind of, what your definition of that is.
0: Well, I guess for me, it's uh, um, it's so strange because I guess I'm really, I'm kind of actually a good subject for this, and maybe for the people listening, I have those sort of filmic images of prisons being this kind of play. You know, I mean, like I hate saying, you know things like porridge for example mm, yeah. do you know like yeah. you see that image of like a quiet you know basically two old convicts basically sharing a prison cell mm-hmm. having a bit of a laugh with the like you know and it's that kind of thing where I'm sure there are certain prisons which aren't the best place in the world like you know uh, heavily populated or you know resources aren't great but I also was thinking oh maybe there's a prison in I don't know Cornwall that's like a little <laughs> bit more nicer you know what I mean, or less populated or whatever um, so yeah that's kind of what I meant by that is it sort of broad brush strikes, prisons are totally under service, they're all bad places for most criminals to be uh, to go to in this country.
1: Um, there are differences between prisons but okay. so the levels of self-harm, the levels of violence, the levels of suicide and the levels of death generally are um, shocking across the estate. So between 2016 and 2017 there were 300 deaths in prison. So it's 365 days in a year that 300 people died in prison last year. Like...
0: So, and, and how, what how are those deaths called, like related?
1: Um, so like, I think, I haven't got this written down, but I'm pretty sure it's about a third is suicides. Um, there's been a big rise in kind of things that are classified as natural deaths, um, deaths from natural causes in the last few years. That's partly because we're seeing a, uh, an increase in the age of the prison population, we're seeing many, many more older oh, really? prisoners. Um, due to kind of longer sentences and due to... More convictions um of sex offences, and the people who are convicted of that tend to be older um but also like the healthcare in prison is really really appalling, so you'll have things like people dying from like diabetes um we had a there was a teenager a few years ago died of an epileptic fit um people who have cancer will be waiting for for months to see a doctor um It's very very difficult to get access to to healthcare in prison. The standards are not like in the community. So when we have all these deaths that are categorised as natural causes, but it's kind of, what does that mean? You sure. know, how long would that person have lived if they sure. had access to the healthcare that we have access, that you and me have access to? Um, and that's that's across the prison estate. You know, it'll be better and worse in different places, but... Um,
0: God, that is, that is pretty harrowing. Um, for me, I... I Le- learning this stuff, and like I say, I'm a total noob when it comes comes to prisons. Um, I guess it's something which... Um, it's really, you know, hearing these sort of statistics read out why, why do you think this is not as... Mm, sort of... Going off topic a little bit. Why is this not a conversation that's more on the forefront of people's minds? Why aren't, like, you know, people talking about this stuff? Or why is it not in the mainstream media in the way that... It, it, is prison... Are prisons very much related to the politics that are happening in the system? You know, is it very intertwined? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this not being talked about?
1: Um, I think there's a few reasons. Primarily, I think um, because this concept of the criminal as someone who is just kind Mm. of inherently bad and who deserves whatever's coming to them um, has been incredibly successful. So it's very difficult to kind of get people to give a shit about the well-being of people in prison. And then the other reason is because there's a concerted effort to keep it out of the media. The Ministry of Justice are incredibly careful. They're incredibly risk-averse about what gets into the media. Um, And when things do go into the media, they will jump in and try and control it with a narrative. You will have seen it in the news. So actually, we have had quite a lot of things about prisons in the news. And the headlines have been drugs, drones. Drones bringing drugs into prison. Oh, yeah.
0: Actually, I remember that. Yeah, And
1: and violence, gangs. Um, It's not going to be poor healthcare sure it's not going to be the levels of suicide
0: there's that famous line in uh, Shawshank Redemption where he says um, where uh, what's his name the the, the, the protagonist in it uh, Robert uh, DeFrame Andy De Frame, um, is like campaigning to get a library and he's like look the taxpayers when they want to they already don't, don't like spending money on prisons and even when they do they want two things. They want more uh, more bars and more guards. Yeah. They certainly don't want a, a bloody library. Or ask, I guess, in sort of this instance, um, you know, better healthcare for yeah. for prisoners.
1: So I mean, this week the Secretary of State for Justice announced a thirty million package for like security and safety in prisons, um, and that's yeah, mainly going on. I think like body scanners, drug dogs, like. 30 minutes. body that, that sound like cameras
0: lot, and that doesn't sound like a huge amount of money for all the prisons up and down the country no it's not it's no. really not
1: um, but that is kind of the narrative that the Ministry of Justice will go with every time which, which perpetuates this undeserving prisoners thing because it what the image that gives you is just these like feral violent people yeah. that we just need to contain at all costs yeah um, and they're very successful at keeping the conversation at that level so I think that's that's why we don't have these more in depth conversations yeah. about what's what is actually going on in prisons which is not really like drugs being delivered there was
0: um <laughs> well, who was that? there was in one of your podcasts it was quite interesting there was i can't remember it exactly so you have to uh, help me here but it was something about you quoted david cameron saying like if you can't do the crime no if you don't do the time don't do the crime or, or something mm. along those lines and it seems like after having this just in this brief conversation it seems like this is all very like very much this kind of cartoon approach to prisons and criminals and this very much kind of like all tied with one brush, like you commit a crime, get into prison, you know, and so, you know, you deserve everything that's coming to you because guess what, you committed a crime. Mm. And when I think about it, it's quite interesting and I'm sure that many people out there, you know, maybe even yourself Una, like when I think about my teenage years and like, well, I was never like, you know, that of a bad kid. But there are times when I, you know, had scrapes with police, as naturally you would, you know, mm. when you're going out in town or you're messing around with, you know, a large group of lads, or whatever, getting scraps and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there are circumstances, I won't go into detail, but there maybe are some circumstances in my life where if one other decision might have been made, then yeah, I might have got, you know, put in the back of a police car mm. or whatever. Whether or not I'd gone all the way to prison, I, I don't know. But it, it is funny when I kind of think about the idea of, um, if you like the depersonalization of a criminal when I think most people have no interaction with who a criminal is or people who are involved in uh, who are in prison family members who are involved in the criminal justice system um, and all that kind of stuff and I think that's what's quite interesting to this whole argument is is taking that is, is the media not necessarily putting a if you like a face to the criminals a face to these kind of guys who are suffering in whatever way oh. it is Um and then it's easy enough to kind of like, what it sounds like, sweep everything into yeah. the blanket and be like, oh, they're criminals. This is what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to get more money to uh, for police dogs and uh, drug dogs because, uh, you know, that's what's happening in prisons these days. So these mm. criminals are doing X, Y, and Z. Um, this all sounds like um, doom and gloom. And I'm just going to sort of play devil's advocate here. Like, <laughs> is there any benefit to an individual going to prison? Like, if you're in the circumstance where you've been convicted of a crime and you go to prison, are there any upsides
1: for what for the person for the who person is going, going in? Prison, yeah. Um, I mean, like broadly, no. Going to prison is awful. It's. <laughs> I mean, you can just try and imagine. Oh yeah. You, know, I mean, you I, you're arrested. You're taken to court. You go to prison, um, and you you know you can't even. Just like ring your family whenever yeah. you want um it's It's sometimes a little bit abstract to imagine this, but I think that's one of the most painful things for people is being cut off from from their loved ones, um regardless of the conditions in prison, even if you're in a kind of like luxury hotel that was locked up, you know if you're not you might have kids open oh, yeah. i mean I work in this bedroom them.
0: like. Work from home in this room we're in now. I mean, Jesus. I mean, it's like obviously I have the freedom to leave this house whenever I want. But if I'm basically spending most, I'm like, you know, I start going insane just yeah. in this room with the internet. And you
1: can pick up the phone or go down to the pub, yeah, or whatever. Um, or do a podcast. People <laughs> in prison. Uh, a lot of people get a visit once a week. A lot of people don't get a visit once a week. A lot of people don't get any visits because um, of the circumstances of their lives, or because they've been moved to a prison that's hundreds of miles away, and their family yeah. can't afford to get there um phone calls are so bt holds a contract for the prison phones so it's extremely expensive um to call home average wage in prison is nine pounds a week so
0: when you say average wage which is in the money that
1: the money that they get for working in the prison oh really so everyone will have a job when they're okay in prison.
0: that's interesting
1: um but obviously, the wages are incredibly low, and the cost for phone calls are incredibly high. Sure. So,
0: so, so just picking up on that because that's something that I don't know anything about. But I, I, you know, I, I presume when I said something like, okay, what's, you hear stories of, oh, guys, you know, get their GCSEs or they get their um, trained to be an electrician or a chippy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it, does that stuff exist? Does that happen?
1: There will be cases like that. It's 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 quite rare, and it takes a lot of work from the individual involved. So, like to access education to get qualifications um it's hard work so if someone if someone comes out of prison they've got a qualification i'm always really impressed because it means they've like gone and they've bugged a load of people and they've really tried hard to like access that stuff um
0: so that's not readily available
1: no it's not like
0: you go to prison it's like right okay what's your stretch okay a year right well then you're going to do this course for a year this and or or they choose like I, i almost think of it as kind of like you know Hi, here's a menu of courses you can do while you're here. You're basically locked up for a year, so yeah, you might as well do something or learn so something. So the more
1: common situation will be like you'll hear from like your mate on the wing that there might have been this course, and then you'll like spend weeks like asking around and asking guards and keep on bugging people, and eventually you'll like be able to fill in a form are you and maybe me? you'll get referred. Um, but also this another problem that we have in the prison system is people are transferred between prisons um, all the time, so you might be halfway through a course suddenly. There's like an overcrowding situation. You get shipped off to the Isle of Wight, and then how, how, I, then you're on the waiting list again. But
0: I don't understand, and this is I'm trying to remove politics from this. I don't understand how that's not a th- like. How is it so hard to basically provide? I, I mean, if you ever uh, have you ever heard of Lynda.com? No. So Lynda.com is it's an amazing resource, right? You pay 16 pound a month. It's a website, and it has like courses on every... If you want to learn how to be a learn how to podcast or, or sound engineering, there'll be a course that you just learn. I mean, it's literally like great videos, you do exams, mm. it's whatever. It's 16 quid a month. Um, video editing, I, learned, I taught myself Photoshop with it. I mean, it's an amazing thing. When I want to learn something, I go on lind.com and pay 16 pound. Basically, pretty much I'll do it in a month. And I learned this thing. It's so simple. So when I'm hearing you saying like, the prison system... It's so hard. A guy has to bug a guard to get... A, I mean, this is ins- this is this this sounds insane. Like, why have we not got a system in place? Yeah,
1: I mean, it is ridiculous. And I'm not saying... Like, there are prisons where those things are um, more accessible and, sure. like, people do learn stuff. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, it's that thing of these people don't deserve it. Yeah. And these people are dangerous. The money used to go on security. Um, and there is still this idea that people in prison... Um, are just, like, not worthy of having any of these things. So it's quite hard to sell it and also to get, like, prison officers behind it. Sure. Um, so that's kind of why that stuff happens. Sure. But, like, you w- you will meet people who will, like, say that get- them going to prison was a positive thing, um, which is obviously true, they're telling you that. Um, and you will meet people who have committed crimes to get into prison because of the dire circumstances on, sure. on the outside. And as I said before... That is really just an indictment of our society. Like, If your best option is to be in this place where people are committing suicide um, and dying and harming themselves every single day, yeah. um, or where you're at risk of like, developing a drug addiction, um, or where you might be locked up in your cell 22 hours a day,
0: yeah,
1: if that's your option, what does that say about the society we have built outside? Sure.
0: Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to call some people out on the live stream. Um, so all down one, basically everyone's, everyone's um, trolling us saying, like, I can't hear any sound, I can't hear any sound. Just letting <laughs> know, guys, out there, I've got my phone here streaming it. So And I'm hearing pretty well the live stream that's coming from my phone. Everything. So uh, you can stop all your chatter about whether you can hear it or not. Um, so going back to the topic at hand, this is... Um, so th- this is all. I mean, like I said, this is so, so eye-opening for me because, like I said, I don't know much about it, and I'm sure many people out there don't know much about it because essentially our only access to learning about prisons is through mainstream media, which obviously um, is awful. Um, so, in, in terms of going sort of like the back to the sort of the, the start of this this topic, um, the this guy just said, "Oh my! I just noticed my speakers were turned off." One. Um, <laughs> Is this debate fairly modern? Like, is this a kind of, is this something which is just coming to the forefront? Prison reformation, prison abolition, like, obviously, I've I, I been, you know, I've known, known you for a year or so, and Sam has been talking about this for the last year. How is this conversation being? Like, is it expanding, or is it? When when did it start, basically? Mm.
1: Well, the prison reform debate has been about for as long as prisons existed. Right. In a way, prisons kind of came out of. Prison reform weirdly enough it was like reforming these like local jails and being like oh we're gonna have a nice efficient like uh state prison system um but the abolition movement i mean as well has kind of been around for as long as that um but is really kind of the modern abolition movement really comes from the states so um that was started in mainly kind of black communities um, or communities of color in the states where it was clear to them that they weren't able to rely on the justice system. So while like you or me might consider calling the police. um, As in being white. If something's, yeah, if something's hot, if you've been like robbed or um, if you've been a victim of assault, communities of color knew they kind of didn't have that option because the police were not there to protect them and getting in touch with the police would just put them at risk of more violence. So they were kind of forced into this situation of like having to just come up with other strategies um, to keep d- themselves safe and to sure. deal with harm that was happening either to their communities or within their communities. Um, and so actually like a lot of what, like, where I get my ideas from and thoughts and like why I'm an abolitionist is because of um, the work of mainly black women in in the U.S. who have kind of set up community projects sure. to, to address harm.
0: Could you give any examples of... I mean, because when you start talking about, like, you know, um, sort of uh, the, the systems that people put in place, immediately I was just thinking of Black Panthers, for example. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, I just know them kind of like helping their own community in terms of, uh, you know, deterring or basically being something that would replace the police because the police wouldn't help them. Mm-hmm. Is that right, or is that incorrect? I mean, accurate? I'd certainly
1: see the Black Panthers as an abolitionist project, like. Really. Um, so
0: sp- when you say abolition project, just so I'm clear on the terminology, abolitionist project specifically referring to prison systems.
1: Yeah, um, but I mean, I think there's lots of work that isn't explicitly abolitionist that would very much fall into the abolition project because the idea is that you're building a society um, that. Is caring yeah. that prevents harm and yeah. that doesn't rely on these punitive systems. So yeah. the things the Black Panthers were doing around like providing breakfast for yeah. school kids, um, kind of building community movements, doing these like community education projects, all of that stuff is really really important. So yeah, I certainly see that as like an abolitionist. I don't
0: even know that about the Black Panther. That is that is. Um, I mean, it sounds so basic, doesn't it? Like. And I, and I actually um, just on that point there. Well, I'm sure we'll move on to this later on. But um, essentially, what I'm getting—and and correct me if this is not uh, not right—but the the whole point of the prison system is basically saying like we don't need to have a prison because basically it's like it's not even a last resort. It's like let's fix the problems in the society before mm. an individual even gets into this sort of like. Yeah. Why do we even need to get to this point? Basically, is that the sort of the general ethos behind the abolition movement?
1: Yeah, I think the main. Probably the key point is that um, harm doesn't happen. So we need to distinguish firstly between crime and harm. Yeah. Crime and harm are not necessarily the same things. There are lots of things uh, that are criminalised that are not harmful. Right. For example, being homeless. <laughs> You're not harming anyone by being homeless. Right. Um, Yet yeah, there are many aspects of being homeless that are criminalised. Yeah. Um, similarly, there are lots of things that are very harmful that are not criminalised. Um, so corporate crime um or like the levels of air pollution that we have so there are people like thousands of people dying in this country from air pollution um there is nothing i mean there are laws about it there's no criminal action happening to hold those people to account
0: do not get me started on i mean the for me well i don't get into it now but the 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 fact that corporations get away literally with murder and like Mm -hmm. we just don't for me it's, it's absolutely insane and so this is really interesting so um yeah. Anyway, keep, I don't want to get like go down this rabbit hole because well, I it could, is don't. that
1: thing of like people can go to prison for shoplifting. You literally see mothers go to prison for shoplifting nappies um, and baby formula, and uh, still no one has been held to account for Bank for yeah. You know, or yeah, for. Bankruptcy, so two thousand eight. Cra- yeah, yeah. Um, I
0: mean that's that is what's really insane. It, the whole uh, I can only talk from the US statistics, but I think it was um, I think eight people went didn't even go to prison but were charged um, after the sort of the banking crisis. Yeah. For the, the the levels of embezzlement and sort of misconduct within giant corporations.
1: I uh, mean, similarly, we've uh, a thousand people have died in police custody since the nineteen nineties. There have been, I think, five prosecutions, all of which ended in acquittal of the officers that are responsible for those deaths um and what that leads us to ask really is kind of what what is criminalized and why why are certain people labeled as criminals um and how is that useful for the current system and the current hierarchy of power that we have
0: so taking it back to the to the question which started this was the um so this is Prison reform has been happening for, or the debate has been happening since prisons have been around. Bringing it back to sort of like our society, our media, and the way that sort of you know, I guess our peer groups talk about it. Is the conversation being heard more or being heard less?
1: Um. I mean, I think in this country we're still kind of an, an early stage okay. with an abolition movement. Um,
0: Who's on the forefront, countries wise?
1: The U.S. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Like really? that's, that's where so much of this politics comes from. Are you being
0: serious? I thought there that is- would have been like they would be like, no, no, no. This is like we love the prison system because well, the government would be saying we love the prison system because of. I mean, the the Luther who obviously done a, a lot of work on this. I've watched a few documentaries on it. Like that, the prison economy in the U.S. Mm. is insane. Like, is insane. Like the bit, like the fact that they have these privatised prisons just for the prison guards to do the like whole communities mm. are existing uh, and being sort of their local economy of employ, uh, employment is because of a prison like it's, I, 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 I'm really shocked by that
1: Yeah, I mean, and it kind of makes sense that the resistance would be uh, stronger or like more well-developed in a country with that kind of history um, and a lot of it does come from like the Black Panthers or the Black Radical movements um, of the 60s and 70s. So that's kind of why it's strongest there. And I guess in this country, I think we're still a long way off kind of like really having that conversation on a grand scale. Um, And we're still not talking about that kind of key component of what abolitionism is talking about. And that is the fact that harm is not located within bad individuals. So bad things don't happen. Because we just have these people who are monsters. Right. We have to actually look at the structures and society, totally. the systems, the cultures that are allowing these things to happen.
0: I have to say it's interesting. I think it, it sort of as my as I get older, um, I sort of I'm sort of going uh, sort of the opposite way of how when people get older they get more conservative. <laughs> I'm getting more liberal. I mean, it, it's so interesting because I, you know, in my younger years, uh, would always look at the individual and, and go. They've done this thing because they themselves are responsible for the decisions they make, so on and so forth, which I, you know has part truth to it. But basically, we all do the we all are the people we are because the environment we grow up in, the relationship with our parents, whatever, so on and so forth. It's why now I changed so dramatically in saying like, well, look, someone can do it, can commit a crime, hundred percent, and it's and they've made that decision to do so. But the factors going into that if you go way back to the genesis of the societal things around them, surrounding them that have that, you know, the environment they grow up, their education, their relationship, with their parents, Mm. their, maybe they've, whatever reason, um, that's the kind of core responsibility. That's the kind of core reasons why they've done what they have done. Um, but, I guess we're kind of not encouraged to think like that, really, uh, with sort of mainstream media. Um, Because you could always say, well, stop making excuses for the individual. Like, they do the crime, yeah, pay for it. Like, well, you know. Um, I guess that kind of leads us on to um, the the next sort of point I want to talk about, which is if an individual. I mean, okay, so with talking about sort of like, you know, if you do the crime, you do the time. Why. I guess it's kind of the, the, the overarching uh, bigger question. What is the alternative then? Mm-hmm. Like, what, So you're, you're, I, I understand what you're saying. It's essentially like um, we shouldn't even have prisons in the first place because our society should ha- be in, a, in such a healthy state that we don't even need to have penal measures for an individual who commits a crime. Mm-hmm. Or if they are, um, it, it's certainly not locking them in a prison cell for 22 hours a day. Mm-hmm. What, okay, I'm going to play it sound two questions. What are the alternatives in an ideal situation? Like, click your fingers. <laughs> what is the kind of, like, utopia of the justice system?
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take a step yeah, back just it. to address something that you introduced that with, which is really relevant. So sure. this idea of, like, individual responsibility versus sure. uh, kind of, like leeway for the society and the culture and the structure that you've lived in and i think that's a really really key difference between uh the the reform movement and the abolition movement okay and
0: Uh, and would you mind just kind of expanding on those two points because we talked a lot about abolition but reform and and in researching this i know that they're two quite big topics
1: yeah i mean i don't think the two things are necessarily in conflict we're obviously not going to like abolish prisons tomorrow so we're going to have to be reformist steps along the way um but those reforms need to be looking towards a horizon of abolition. Um, so prison reform, I think, is a kind of position of: we reform prisons, we make the system humane. We we just we still have prisons, but we make them good.
0: So, for example, they'd have court. You go in there, you have courses, maybe psychotherapy. You would have drug rehabilitation, uh, rehabilitation in there, so on and so forth. Like yeah. that sort of reform over here. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and the abolitionist position on that is kind of that that is that actually that's the ridiculous utopian position we've been doing prison reform for hundreds of years um and we haven't gone anywhere sure it's still it is still painful it's still violent it's still harmful it still doesn't prevent harm yeah um and it still doesn't provide what those people need yeah um so the abolitionist position is like let's Let's maybe start somewhere else because actually the system was never meant to do anything good. So, uh,
0: and I love that. I'm I'm a big fan of that. Just across everything, it's like oh, just we need to start again. This is mental. Yeah, like this is insane. Like for example my opinions of the House of... Well, the political system as a whole, or voting system. I know you and I, and Sam, have talked about this before, but it's like, oh, could we just start again? Yeah. Like, this is insane. Like, this is actually insane. <laughs> it's
1: um, ridiculous. How the
0: hell do we have the House of Lords still? I mean, yeah, just get rid of it. Like, we're not reforming it. Like, no, 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 no. Let's start again. So I'm totally in that camp when it comes to, like, radicalisation of going like, yeah, come on, let's just, you know, get rid of it, full stop. Yeah, um,
1: I think... And that's that's essentially... It's just, like, it's not worked... It's yeah. a horrible system. It yeah. was we set up for horrible reasons. Yeah. So like, let's just, let's start from somewhere else. Um, and I think another really, really key difference is this thing about responsibility. So I yes. think there's a, there's a bit of a tendency within the reform movement because, because essentially like prisons are still seen as like functional and useful. There's a bit of a tendency to say, oh, that person served their time. Um, right. Or like, they're just a victim of their circumstance. Yes. And now let's move on. And I think the prison reform movement doesn't deal very well with the question about like, what about the victims? right? Um, And on one hand, we need to break down this binary between like victim perpetrator anyway, because almost everyone in prison has previously been a victim of some kind of awful harm. On the other hand, though, we do actually need to say like, yeah people are responsible for their actions we need to find a way for people to be accountable for the way they harm others totally and to make amends and to change themselves uh when they have actually harmed someone i think that is right at the heart of abolition got it and that's why the prison reform movement i think is like so unsatisfactory for me because it has no answers about like how do we actually help people to come forward and say oh i did this thing it was really harmful and this is what I'm going to do to change how I'm acting.
0: So this is really interesting and I, I really want to sort of dig into this because I think kind of anyone from the outside's point of view that maybe doesn't share or align with the sort of same politics yourself, Una, would, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but the victims of the crime, okay? So I'll sort of take on the persona of an individual who, let's say, you know doesn't agree with the way you are discussing prisons and say for example this individual caused horrendous harm to my family fill in the gaps however you want i want to see them put in a prison cell locked up take away all their freedoms all their liberties don't give them a phone don't give them anything you know whatever the case may be because Mm. that's the pain that's being caused to me so how relevant is this debate or if I guess how appropriate is this debate to that individual who's feeling like that? Can you argue with someone with those kind of mentalities based on the personal harm that they've they've, yeah. they've had on them?
1: I mean, I firstly, like, I, I, do, I wouldn't want to come from a point of arguing. Um, I think a key problem we have in society is a lack of support for victims. I don't mean of crime, but of any harm, of abuse, sure. um, of violence, and that's the big reason why there's so many people in the prison system. Most of those people have been through like extreme amounts of trauma, extreme amounts of abuse. Um, and there was no support for them. Sure. Um, and I think often people have punitive urges because we don't have the support we need in place. Sure. And I don't think it should be that person's job, the person who's been harmed to have to deal with what happens to this person. obviously like they should have a say, of course, But what often happens when we individualize these situations is we don't look at the social context of something. So particularly with sexual violence, when we look at instances of rape and sexual violence, we individualize it right down to this like situation between two people. One of them is evil. One of them is a helpless victim. We don't look at all at the social context around. And what that does is it puts a huge amount of pressure on that person who's been harmed to deal with that situation and to kind of problem solve basically and I don't think it should be their responsibility I think we need to as a community say like what are we going to do to make sure that this person feels safe to make sure they've got everything they need to heal from this and to make sure that this other person who has perpetrated this harm is not going to harm anyone else and to address How we let this happen.
0: Systemic problems. Yeah. How as a society
1: have we let this situation happen?
0: So let me. So let me sort of play devil's advocate here. Um, Is what you're talking about, um, and this word's kind of used quite a lot. But are you sort of saying that this exists within a utopia where it's like? Well, you know, if things like this do happen, then we have the resources and we also have the inclination from our government, from our general society, from our individual relationships in order to remedy these things. So I guess the question is, will that ever be achievable?
1: I mean, I think so. I think so. Yeah, the the end goal for me is this kind of huge grand project of caring where we are, we have the resources and the knowledge and the the strength as communities um, to actually like look at these situations in the context that they're in. So like rather than just having this blanket, one size fits all yeah. approach to harm, of just like yeah you've done something okay we're gonna lock you up. It needs to be a, like what has actually gone on yeah. here and like what are the details? And I know that sounds overwhelming for people. Like I know that sounds like absolutely ridiculous on yeah. the scale of it, but like, I think it's possible. You know we have huge we have a huge projects for changing society so like something that i talk about a lot is that the left will have these big conversations about changing society like massive programs of nationalization like things like universal basic income um big fan huge transformations right but the moment you start saying well how about if like everyone was trained in trauma support or like how about if we all had the time to like really sit around as a big group of people and like unpick these situations of harm and come up with a tailor-made remedy for like all these things that happen people are like well that's absolutely ridiculous and i'm like well, we've got all these other grand projects why yeah. can't we think about that in that way
0: that is and that's really interesting and, and sort of tapping into things like ubi which are very practical because i think anyone listening to this would almost go like oh you know you're living in a dream world of you know everyone's sort of like looking out for one another and society is this kind of uh, you know there's only a, a tiny percentage of people that decide to commit crime in the first place so on and so forth um I, I guess would there be any argument to say that um I, i'll take it back are you talking about this, you think this is achievable within your lifetime, for example? Or, or or do you think this is something which is way bigger than even this debate? Like, we're not talking about say, prison reform here. We're talking about societal, top-down, total mm-hmm. abolition of current systems, of mentalities, the media, corporate structure, capitalism, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm almost thinking like maybe even prison systems is just a a small slice of a giant cake that you're sort of tapping into here. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I
1: mean I I sometimes think you know, do we need to have the do we need to talk about abolitionism? Like I think it's anti capitalism. Really. Like that's the grand project, yeah. Sure. Is dismantling racial capitalism. Um but in terms of like whether it's going to be done in my lifetime, like there are steps that are happening. And I think it's important to remember that like actually Lots of people are are living abolition already. So, for example, the super rich live abolition, right? They don't have the police hanging out.
0: Expand on that, because that's really interesting. So, super rich (laughs) exist within abolition.
1: The police aren't hanging out in their neighbourhoods. Yeah. The state is not intervening in their lives. Um, They don't tend to, like, call the police on each other. You don't see the super rich going to prison. That's
0: really they're, interesting. They don't
1: live with a law system. They but, don't live with the same system that applies to you. But someone me.
0: would, but someone, someone like you know, uh, who doesn't share your viewpoint would go, well, yeah, they're not committing crime. Like, they're, like, why would they need the? Why? They absolutely
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> That's just there is just so much evidence there for me. Huge tax fraud, um, tax avoidance. I mean. We know that sexual violence um, goes on like at every tier of society. There's there's so much evidence of like the huge amounts of crime like on grand scales, way beyond what any, even you or I could even do if we wanted to. You know, They have the resources to commit levels of crime that are just like un- unimaginable for us. Um,
0: so why are they living in an abolition in, uh, with abolition and most of society aren't?
1: Because the system was set up to criminalize poor people and to criminalize people of color. Right. And, so they're not in those categories. They're right. not, they can't, they can't be conceived of as- Sure, the, the criminals. criminals. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so that's important to remember. And like, also there are lots of ways in which we do abolitionist things. So like most people, the kids are acting up, right, you don't call the cops. There's plenty of situations where harm occurs and we don't call the cops. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's even kind of worth saying that like, most people who commit crime obviously don't go to prison. Yeah. Um, particularly with like rape and sexual violence, most people, most rapists, will never come into contact with the criminal justice system. I'm not saying that's a good thing.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Most rapists don't come into contact with the criminal the vast justice. Vast
1: majority is. It's a it's a it's an endemic problem.
0: Okay, maybe maybe this is a topic for another, <laughs> another video. What? So, what? What? Just nutshell. Sure, what do you mean they don't come in contact with the criminal justice the system? Sexual violence
1: is endemic in our society, right. um, and many many people. The majority of people who um are victims of that act don't go to the police either because they don't think they will be believed right i see i see um, Right, and you know or they actually don't want that person to be arrested because you know they obviously want the violence to stop but they don't want to see that person go to prison um sexual violence obviously is usually committed by someone close to the victim yeah, sure. might be the father of your children you don't necessarily want to see that person go to prison so um there's lots and lots of reasons sure you know, I, when, generally when, the patriarchy sure
0: when i when i heard you say that i was almost thinking that um it was like people were getting caught of these crimes and um the law wasn't as strict on sexual violences or sexual i mean crime. there's
1: a huge there's a huge attrition rate so we talk about like there's there's a statistic but yeah i don't know it's what, a longer what, it's a longer yeah conversation absolutely being, i feel like we might be going, like yeah in terms of the police taking those things seriously and taking them to court there are huge problems specifically within the the field of sexual violence sure um but it's just to note that like actually you know you don't you don't always go to prison if you if you commit crime you, no. and we don't always rely on the criminal justice system to deal with our problems and so we kind of have the resources we've got like the seeds of the resources there to deal with this stuff
0: sure so um I guess, sort of going way, way back to sort of the start of this. So we, I, I said in an ideal environment, like <laughs> Una's prime minister or, what, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, what? How would the, you know, the lack of prisons or, or prison not existing, what would that look like? What would that landscape look like? The penal system, or the justice system, however you want to call it. How would it look like in your I- ideal, like the perfect scenario? What would it look like?
1: Um... So at kind of base level, like everyone would be housed. Everyone would have enough resources sure. to be alive and to thrive. Um, we would have very thorough mental health and trauma services. Um, and when people did experience harm, they would have access to um, very specialized support.
0: When you, you, you've mentioned trauma a few times and I'm not picked up on it, but I, it's piqued my interest. What do you mean by people who are trained to deal with trauma? What do you, what do you mean by trauma and what do you mean how to deal with it?
1: Um, so trauma, I mean, I'm not a specialist in trauma, but it's, it's a huge issue for people in the criminal justice system. So, like, often when someone has committed a kind of violent act, if we take, like, stabbing for something yeah. topical, um, you'll often find that that person is, has been a victim of violence before and right. the effects of that can be really, really life changing um, and it varies a lot from person to person Yeah. Um, but you can find that trauma will make someone very, very fearful and and kind of jumpy and anxious all the time totally. and one possible response to that is to act out violently as a kind of preemptive totally. protecting yourself situation yeah. Um,
0: or or even, I guess, uh, if I'm assuming right, turn to other antisocial behaviours like, I don't know, uh, violence or drugs or uh-huh. whatever it may be yeah. in response to not having dealt with that trauma.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we had um, Whitney Isles on the podcast a little while ago and she runs a kind of a trauma-informed charity that addresses, um, sorry, a social enterprise called Project 507 um, and it prevents and addresses um, serious youth violence.
0: I think I, I think I listened to that one. Yeah, um, yeah, that was quite interesting. She uh, her perspective on things was like the way that I, I sort of tapped the the first half of it, but. Uh, for example, the way that the media were portraying gangs in was that the right one yeah, we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. And she was actually saying, like, well look, where were the individuals to see, you know, if these individuals were being looked after on their way home from school or so on and so forth and that kind of stuff. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, she talks about how people react to trauma in a lot of different ways. Sure. And one of the things she brought up was actually a common response to trauma will be overworking yourself. Um, that might be a more kind of like functional, pro social pro social behaviour that we think of as quite normal, but that can be Often a response to trauma, or like drug use, alcohol use, sometimes violence.
0: Overworking. So, so an individual. This is interesting. So, an individual in response to dealing with trauma in their life would overwork. Are we talking about sort of like people with like office jobs and stuff? Yeah, like? yeah,
1: yeah. It's not. It's not. A... So they
0: rather than address the emotional situation that might be happening at mm-hmm. home, they'd be like, right, I'm going to work 18 hours a day, go yeah. home, sleep, wake up, go back to work.
1: Yeah. So the I, I mean the point is that we see a spectrum of 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 responses and sometimes that those responses can be harmful sure and what you need really is someone to kind of that understands how how people respond to that um and we need more of us to understand that stuff so like
0: so that's the part of the utopia trauma understanding and dealing with trauma so an individual can recognize trauma that's happened in their life and then seek out the necessary uh training or or uh, way of dealing with it and coping with it
1: I mean, there was, so an example that um, I use a lot is there was a stabbing, I think, a couple of years ago, and it was a 15-year-old boy killed another 15-year-old boy. And this this 15-year-old was kind of like, uh, he was in the media, he was called evil, you know, a killer. um, And actually, Gary Young from The Guardian did this piece where he kind of interviewed the, the boy's mother. And if you look at this boy's life history, in primary school, his father was deported um, his mum then tried to get him into the mental health services, our mental health services for children in particular are so underfunded that you basically have to be suicidal before they'll let you in. So he couldn't get mental health support. He was then excluded from secondary school. He was moved around from pupil referral unit to pupil referral unit. His mum was desperately trying to get him the right education. She eventually went to social services. She went to the police. She went to everyone she could find to say, I'm so worried about my son he's going to die or he's going to kill someone please will you do something no one did anything there was no support and eventually he killed someone and then we say he's a monster Um, so I guess the utopia would be the opposite of that it would be it would be like that kid would have the support he needed. As soon as they'd recognise right. an issue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his father never would have been deported, obviously, in the utopia. It, it, but it, he, if he experienced mental health problems, there would be people there for him straight away.
0: The, the interesting thing is I agree with most of the things you've been saying the whole time. And for, for the sake of argument, I've been trying to place my uh, opinions of an individual that wouldn't share the same uh, necessary politics as you or I or align with us um, in the in this stuff we've been talking about and it's kind of funny because when you explain things like that I mean I'll try like you know would there be anyone in the country that would disagree with this kind of utopia it's kind of strange but I think we're always talking about it in terms of um, these individuals who don't necessarily even uh, the liberal values that we were discussing quite easily actually um, would they ever get around to it do do you know what I'm trying to get at yeah it's interesting it's almost like kind of saying like if you presented this argument to most people hard hard right conservatives would they even still have a problem with this you know utopia that you're describing
1: well i mean often uh, in studies of kind of the general public and their levels of punitiveness it'll be found that once people are kind of given the details of those specific situations they tend to be a lot less punitive than actually our law system is yeah um so i mean i guess it, for me it's about asking people what kind of society they want to live in and then we figure out how we get there and Normally, the evidence demonstrates that imprisonment um, yeah. and punishment is not the way that you get.
0: Well, this is, so this is yeah. really interesting. So this is like brings us back to sort of the topic. You know, is it time to get rid of prisons? Um, in your utopia that we did, you know, which I'm sure will be a lot of people's utopia, sounds great. <laughs> we, um, you know, that is quite um, you know click your fingers kind of uh, scenario. Taking it back to the more realistic. Now, if we're talking about like 2018, England, yourself. How? what are the necessary steps, practical steps that we get towards mm. achieving, not necessarily that like utopia, but getting towards the answer of, let's get rid of prisons?
1: Yeah. So most of them are outside the justice system. Okay. A lot of them are in the current Labour Party manifesto.
0: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: you know, things like more, more council housing.
0: So yeah, you keep going back to housing. That's almost like the primary thing you keep going to is housing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that it's it's very contextual and it's like right now right now there's a huge housing crisis sure. it's one of the one of the biggest things funneling people into the criminal justice system and it's one of the biggest things that's that's making it very very difficult for people to get out of the criminal justice sure. system um and it's a, it's a human right like we just should have a society where everyone has yep. decent housing sure. to live in and it's like doesn't feel incredibly utopian you know it doesn't feel like that that difficult to say unachievable yeah, it's just, I mean, and it's also, like, it's hard to argue with.
0: Yeah, like I said, I'm trying to think, I mean, the only argument I keep thinking of when we sort of talk about even more practical sense of it from a conservative point of view is someone just going, like, well, how much is this going to cost? You know, well, okay, how are we going to afford all these houses that people are going to buy, you know, uh, that live in, if we're going to house the whole of society, you know, um, I not trust, you know, the conservative argument would be, well, who's going to pay for all of yeah, this? Yeah,
1: I mean, I not an economist you can ask john mcdonald about that okay Okay. (laughs) i'm sure he'd have the right answer sure absolutely
0: so Um, so housing's the first one um and like i say most of the answers to this practical um the, the way of getting rid of prisons is okay so we start off with housing and then uh we reform society what are the kind of key areas in which we need to reform our society
1: um, so I mean, there's there's practical things like the education system, Right. we need to make it harder for for schools to be excluding children. Um, that's a key kind of step on the way from like, what some people call the school to prison pipeline. So Can you expand
0: on that a little bit? There's a
1: massive correlation between children being excluded from school, right. um, and then ending up in the criminal justice system.
0: That's interesting, because even talking to Sam, uh, our friend, he he was saying that a lot of the guys that he's worked with, with um in prison have a reading age of ten to eleven year olds or something mm. like that. I don't know if I'm right with that statistic. But I was like, what do you mean? They they he's like, Well they they it's like they can really read like they're like nine or ten years old.
1: Yeah. I mean and it's a it's a big problem with our education system in the way that like certain children get treated, the lack of support that they have, um the difficulty that our system has with like dealing with mental health issues or learning difficulties and the way that, I mean, our system is still very punitive. You I'm sure you remember from school, like if you act out what's likely to happen is you are punished. Yes. Probably like what's unlikely is that someone's going to take you aside and say, what's going on? What's going on at home? Can I help you? Sure. Do you need counselling? Can we support you with this thing? That doesn't happen in many schools, and particularly in schools that are underfunded.
0: But uh, you, that's quite interesting um, to tap into when, I, when you sort of break it down in terms of... Just make it related for myself. Yeah, when I was at school, if I misbehaved, I got a, a punishment like, you know, writing lines or detention or suspension. I never got suspended. Very close. But um, the... Um, that to me, for me, was a deterrent. I mean, a massive deterrent. Like, I didn't mm. want to get those things, and so I didn't do them, or I made sure that I didn't get caught doing the things which I was going to do. Um, would you be implying that the same principle you could even apply to in the education system with kids, like saying, like, okay, we don't need to punish kids, what we need to do is, is we need to say, like, right, why is this individual acting out, so on and so forth? Is that still the same principle we're applying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it, it depends on... The individual. So for you, that might have been a deterrent. For someone who is perhaps perhaps experiencing neglect or yeah. abuse at home, or has had something happen to them, like a parent being deported, that deterrent might not be the same thing. Sure. They may not be in control of their behaviour in the same way. Um, yeah. So it's kind of yeah, it's difficult to say that you should apply that same thing to like every single kid.
0: Yeah. I, it's funny. I'm, just, I'm sure there's people who might be listening to this who'd literally be like oh you know if a kid misbehaves come on just like give them a clip around the ear they'll never do it they'll never do it again but I guess it's less about I mean if I'm like listening to you correctly it's actually has nothing to do with the system it's all about the individual at the end of the day
1: well I mean there's a difference between setting boundaries and punishing as well you know I'm not saying like let all the kids do whatever they want all the time Um, but I mean like having I've worked a little bit in the education system as well and like and that's probably my hatred for school <laughs> and how much I hated that as a young person. I'm sure it had something to do with how obsessed I am with... British you hated education
0: when you were a little... Like... Yeah, I hated
1: being at school. I hated it. Um, what,
0: did you did you act out?
1: Uh, Like, not in a massive way. A little bit. But, like, you know, I think just something about the kind of... The level of punitiveness and the fact that, like, no one... Like, half my teachers didn't really know my name. No, No one knew anything about my life. Um... And just that you would see, like, no one would ever kind of have a conversation with you. Sure. And having worked in primary school since, um, it's very, very difficult to sit down with a kid and and be like, "Oh, can you not hit this other kid? Because it's hurtful for them." Yeah. What the response that you would get often is like, "Well, you're going to give me a sticker. You're going to give me detention." It's very, very instrumental, and that's kind of like I don't think that's a natural thing for children. I think that's what we like socialize them into. Yeah. And I think we need to get to a point of like building relationships and communities where people sure. feel like they don't want to hurt other people. And that might be children, That might be adults. Yeah. Because they're actually like invested in the situation.
0: Um, while we're on the subject of the education system and, and uh, I, I guess sort of all these practical steps to reach uh, the replacement of, of prisons, one of the statistics, talking about the other thing as well, was um, the family unit as well. Um, I don't know about your background, Una, but certainly mine, like, you know, I grew up in a very stable household. Um, So I imagine with housing, with education, is that another huge factor that comes along with um, the, I I guess, the reasons why an individual might go into a criminal route and end up in the prison system?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, there's massive levels of, abuse or neglect so like many many people in the prison system will have either experienced or witnessed domestic violence as a child um but like even aside from that just growing up in levels of poverty that are very very difficult for even kind of the most well-meaning parent to mitigate um so if a parent's having to work all the time just to put food on the table it's going to be a real struggle to give the support that you want to give to your kids so um yeah issues at home are are a big deal but i would be very very wary of kind of like locating them in the family as if there's kind of these like deficient families and that's you know often what we get from from the right is this kind of like feckless single mother image um, of just, like, the single mother who's got loads of babies and she's on benefits and she doesn't give a shit, she's not raising her ch- children properly. Sure. Um, that's obviously, that's not the reality. And so I, I get a little bit wary when we start talking about kind of, like, problems in the family. Okay. Again, I think we need to contextualise them within totally. the kind of, like, society that we live in. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, that's a big factor. Sure. Um, another big thing is uh, the, the care system. So the number of children going into care and then... The way in which our care system operates meaning that it's very very easy for those children to be criminalised so a pattern is that care workers who are not paid enough um, will often call the police for like minor things that happen within the home that a a child that's in their family home would never be criminalised for. Right. Um, And that's particularly happened since the contracting out of care homes privatisation of the care system happens a lot more in private um, care homes where you see more agency staff who are on lower pay um so again that's like something that's a step that we can take outside the criminal justice system that have a knock-on massive knock-on effect on how many kids are going into the justice system um once again i'm trying
0: to once again i'm trying to argue with taking my head off and putting on a a right-wing agenda on my head um (laughs) so i guess um one the right wing you know establishment would say something along the lines of well look um, If we did have these kind of systems in place which were idyllic um, and we had huge resources pumped into social services, into housing, into child welfare, into education system, yada, 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 um, you might encourage uh, a sector of society to not then take responsibility to themselves or try and... I guess, within this sort of capital structure, you know, go out and achieve as an individual. They'll be like, oh, well, the state's going to take care of me. Great, I can uh, do it X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Is that, you know, is that fair to say? Is that, you know, or does the evidence not point to that at all? Um, the
1: evidence doesn't point to that. I think the responsibility, thing, particularly when we look at justice, is a key part of... So actually, like, one of, one of my biggest problems with prison is that when someone has committed harm, prison is um, incredibly ineffective at helping that person to face up to what they've done, to admit it, to take responsibility, and to then change their behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's because prison is an extremely traumatic thing to experience. So what it kind of does is make them into a victim. You're in this turmoil, you're suddenly you're That's away from your family, you're put in this horrible situation. Often what you find is that at least at first people are very wrapped up in their own situation because their own situation is horrific regardless yeah. of what they've yeah. done. Um, so it can be, not always, I think there's, a, there's also a lot of guilt and shame in prison around what people have done, but it can be extremely difficult for someone to kind of get outside their immediate um, circumstances and to reflect on the harm they've caused. Sure. And I think that, that thing about responsibility um, is really, really important. And we need to be able to build a society that actually like supports people. So it's like gives people incentives to actually come forward and say like, yeah, I've done this thing and I wanna take responsibility for my, my behavior with support.
0: This is. The, I I think this is, is great. It was sort of coming sort of full circle back to to the issue. I think um, we'll start to wrap. Guess how long we've talking for, Irina? I'll, I'll hide the time. Guess how long? I don't
1: know. Guess like an hour maybe. An, is hour, it an hour? hour and a half. Oh my god! It's insane, Which isn't is it? This is why my podcasts are so long. Well, it's because great. I just go on
0: and on. No, no. I mean, it's I could go on for another two hours. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love it. Um, coming full circle because I think maybe people listening, this is. You know, I'm trying Thanks to for
1: sticking with us, guys. Oh yeah. Well, how,
0: well, like I say, it's more the podcast episodes, but We've got seven people in at the moment, so it's
1: impressive. You
0: know, we, you can see our little views here. Um, there's two things I want to tap into, sort of like round off the discussion um, and get your thoughts on Una because it is, it's really interesting to sort of make sure we we, we cover this and, and we've we, we've spoken about it a little bit um, over the debate. The whole idea of replacing prisons, so is it time to get rid of prisons, which is what we're talking about, and if the answer to that is, yes, it's time to get rid of them, which I assume that's the side of the argument you're on, is how do we then uh, punish an individual? Like, so let's say we're, we're living in utopia, we're living in Unas, you know, everything's great, da 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 but you still get a man or a woman who, for some reason, decides to cause harm to another individual. Let's just, I don't know, uh, she's like he or she stabbed someone because they stole their car or whatever i don't know some some whatever how do we then punish an individual if we don't have a prison system
1: well yes the pro- the question is do we do we want to punish them sure um and is that effective so the abolitionist question in that situation would be how do we prevent this person from causing harm again? yeah and I get that. And, the res- and punishment has been proved to be like, incredibly ineffective, actually, at doing that. And I don't mean like...
0: So we can, can we tap into this? Because this is what I think it's interesting. Punishment itself, we're not talking about prisons here, we're talking about punishment. Mm-hmm. So an individual's done something bad, you punish them, that has been proven to be extremely ineffective. Is that right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> In well, actually like preventing...
0: It happening again.
1: Further harm, yeah.
0: So, so this is interesting. Okay, and it could be indirect because all I'm thinking about is make, making it personal. But when I did something wrong as a kid, I got clipped round the ear, and guess what? I never did it. I never, <laughs> I never did it again. Like, you know, I was, a, I was a young lad, um, and I don't hold any resentment mm. for my parents' for for that. So, so I'm trying to, because I don't want to, you know, I'm, i I totally agree with everything in the prison system side of things. But when we talk about punishment as a broad spectrum, mm-hmm. um, I guess it's kind of this is what I'm getting into, and I just want to ex- get you to expand on yeah. that a little bit more. I mean,
1: I don't want to like uh, challenge like your own idea of sure. your childhood that you've experienced. Sure. Um, but I guess my question. But, but, but please do if you want to. My question about I, that I, I'll, I'll is: like, What else were you experiencing alongside sure. that you were
0: probably just being a little shit? <laughs> <laughs> and like, but
1: were you experiencing a loving family? Yeah. a stable home, people who respected you, people who knew about you, yeah. people who understood you. Yeah. Um. And I, I, I would. I, I, suggest I did. I did
0: something wrong. I'd I,
1: suggest that like maybe that stuff has more to do with it than just the punishment. And that what your uh, what your family might have been doing there is like like maybe it's more towards a punitive side, but they're saying they're setting boundaries and they're kind of like using that clip around the ear was was less a kind of like you're a bad person, it's more like I'm letting you know where the limit is here, sure, um and you had a relationship with those people sure, and you you have like an investment in wanting to keep that relationship, and you're receiving like a lot of positive things, sure, that's quite different to a situation where we say you've done this thing you're an evil person okay that's it you're excluded from society yeah. now um so what you were experiencing there was um like maybe maybe a level of punishment but like a, a form of inclusion at the same time and that that kind of action from your family as well as letting you know that you're doing something wrong let you know that you're part of the family
0: totally that's interesting um i i um so so going back to the original question uh, is saying what are the alternatives so you you're halfway through what are the alternatives then so um ideal scenario uh, ideal um, uh, world that we're living in utopia yeah you know our utopia so on and so forth an individual still does something mm-hmm. that is wrong the alternative is not necessarily punishment full stop kind of thing
1: yeah I think the the next step so Unless a stabbing has occurred, um, the the first step is the support right. for the victim of that situation, okay. um, and speaking to them and like ascertaining what they need from that situation in order to then make them feel safe and to feel like they can heal from what's happened. Sure. Um, and the next step is like figuring out why that person did that thing.
0: And then. Just going back to that, that point, so how we live today is essentially, the response to that is, well, we're going to lock the person up who did that thing. Yeah. So they can't do it again to you or your family or anyone else. So
1: our response might be like, this person needs to be kept away in yeah. this immediate moment. Yeah. Especially from the victim. Yeah. Um, I don't think that necessarily needs to be a prison. Like, I think there are lots of different ways of keeping people safe. Like, it's very, very rare that, like, someone is just... Uh, just like blanket violent to sure. everyone around them. Sure. Um, and then the next step, yeah, it's like fig- like figuring out what has happened in this situation and finding ways for like that person who's done that thing to understand why they did it. Yeah. Um, to like admit that they did it, confront that, and then change the behavior. And like, there's a lot of detail yes. in there. Yes, and I, I'm sure we could out. go.
0: And I think that's really interesting. So I think that's a really good sort of like final topic. Sort of just you know uh, go into a little bit. So you've mentioned this a few times throughout the podcast. The individual has to recognise what they've done. That is the key objective, really, when they get after the sort of the altercation or whatever. Um, is there any systems in, or is there any sort of theories into how that might look today? Like, what would that look like? Someone taking responsibility, how, you know, being, coming to terms with the crime that they've committed, how, mm. how would that be approached? Because anyone listening to this is like going like, oh, come off it, just put them in prison. Like, And you know, it's,
1: it's difficult. Like, there's a big question, you know, you will, you will, particularly in today's society, you get people who just won't, won't admit they've done harm sure. or confront it. Um, and I'd say first that the prison system doesn't, deal with that that problem right so like the prison system actually isn't a way to solve that problem because it's not solving that problem so we do need to start again i don't have all the answers but like nor does the prison system um but there are like there are examples of projects there's an organization called um circles uk yeah which supports men who have committed sex offenses when they come out of prison and the idea is that they build a kind of like circle they have a circle of volunteers and it's several people they meet with the person once a week and this person can go to them to kind of discuss any issues like they're having and it might just be like i'm struggling to get a job um but it might literally be like i'm thinking about offending um and the idea is that you have a community around you to support you but also to hold you accountable Mm. and that they're sitting there saying like i know what you did yeah it's harmful it's important that you don't do it again and i'm here to support you um but i also care that you don't do this thing again yeah. and that really like relies on that individual taking accountability but they have the support to be able to take accountability for that
0: um before we went uh live um i'll sort of end this with it's interesting i sort of were talking about a little bit like what we're we going to discuss and I'm, once again, I'm just trying to wear the head of the mentality of someone reading this title of this podcast and going like, oh my God, this is such a hippy-dippy kind of thing. What are you talking <laughs> about? Like getting rid of prisons is just, you know, prisons is unnecessary punishment for our society. Uh, and they might have heard arguments that you've been made. But is it fair to say uh, that we will ultimately always need prison for some individuals that exist in our society based on how harmful they are to society it, you know whatever you know, add in whatever you want here like psychopathic killer whatever um do we still need a system whereby that individual can be locked up and the key thrown away
1: no right <laughs> <laughs> um no and again it's going into a broader thing sure. of uh what our idea of like human nature is um which i think is it's also come very much from capitalism and,
0: and i think that's really interesting because i've been thinking about that a lot the whole way through it's like going you know prison almost seems as a kind of humanistic response like punishment it seems as a response to an individual who's done something wrong um and therefore emotionally you kind of need that kind of sense mm. of revenge you need that yeah. sense of like right uh and in the same way that sort of like you know chimpanzee tribes would like beat down another chimpanzee you know uh, for doing something wrong yeah. uh, to create that status and that hierarchy so on and so forth it's almost like a, kind of like an animalistic thing it's like bang they're getting punished for that thing
1: so yeah i would i would um challenge those two elements of what we think human nature is so like this idea that someone can just be kind of like irredeemably evil yeah um and we just need they're just dangerous we just have to lock them away i don't think that that is true right um and i think even where someone may not get to the point that we want them to um, you know you may even have a situation where someone like isn't admitting what they've done, isn't reflecting on it and i I do believe that like there are ways to make sure that the people around them are safe yeah um without like severely harming that individual um and then there's other thing about kind of like warning punishment being human nature again I don't think that's true and I it it's understandable that it feels like that it yeah. really because it's so emotional and I feel that like when someone does something to me like my in, my immediate emotional feeling is like I just want to get that person back yeah um and I think we act that out in lo- lots of different ways in our day-to-day life like sure. I've spoken about this on the podcast even with like partners or family members they'll do something to you and you're your like immediate feeling is like you just figure out like how to get them back. yeah, and it might be like just with a silent treatment or it might be with like a little snippy remark. yeah um, and even that is like feels so ingrained that it feels like human nature, but yeah. but I think if you look around us there are there are so many like cultural indicators. it's actually so embedded in our culture that you can see. How it's got to the extent where it feels like human nature.
0: Sure. Well, I guess it's also you know we've kind of evolved to recognize our own nature and kind of evolve out of it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's you plenty know.
1: of ways that we can we can change that. Longer conversation, but.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll bring it back. Short, simple answer here. Going back to the main <laughs> title: Is it time for us to get rid of prisons? What's the answer, Una?
1: yes it's time <laughs> I've got a list I'm not going to go through it but there are oh
0: please say, if there's literally like keep, keep
1: on, keep there are the, like there are reforms that we can there are steps we can make on the way to getting rid of prisons yeah um, yeah they
0: look nicely bullet pointed. do you want to rattle for you off
1: because um, I think anyone listening to
0: this has got to the point now where they might have heard the argument and actually be great to just kind of like from your point of view just to basically this is like lines.
1: I've not thought this through like incredibly in a detailed way but like this is some stuff that I would like to basically see and like I would like to see the next Labour government do.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, I think we need a moratorium on prison building. No new prisons. Doesn't work. And who? What's going on? Moratorium. So, Ma- we're not going to build any more prisons. Okay, right. Commitment to not building any sure. more. Sure.
0: Just getting rid of less prisoners, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, commitment to reducing the prison population. Yeah. And then each time, like... We see a drop in the prison numbers. We decommission those prison places, so they cannot be filled up again.
0: Could you imagine if prisons became like museums or something, or like places of art or culture?
1: Well, in I think it's Holland. Might be wrong. Um, there is a country where they have turned their empty prisons into housing for refugees. So
0: there are there are examples where system European countries their criminal justice has, system like,
1: dramatically reduced. Really? Yeah, yeah.
0: God, we haven't even spoken about this. That's I know, interesting. Yeah. Again, Who's like the best? Like, so. America's the ones on the front line of the discussion to get rid of prisons. Who's on the front line of actually practical stats of going right? Um, yeah, we're definitely decreasing our Can you prison population. Holland or Norway? Really? I know, like
1: knowledge all that stuff to say um, exactly which one? I mean, there are different problems with their systems. Yes, but um, and I've,
0: I learned I listened to that on the podcast mm, uh, from the guy who's saying. We do talk about it a little bit. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so another thing I think we could do is uh there could be a commitment to reducing the workload of the police there's a lot of talk about police numbers and cuts at the moment there's Labour's commitment uh to have 10,000 new police officers i think that's a terrible idea i think what we need to do is fund those services that are putting us well those services that are underfunded that is then putting a strain on the police so police are ending up going out to like mental health crises things that they're not they can't deal with they're not trained to deal with they shouldn't be there in the first place or housing or
0: like yeah, educate or whatever. Yeah, just we need to fund
1: those services that are increasing that workload, okay. reduce the police workload that way. Um, I think we could end the imprisonment of under 18 year olds. Uh, there's around about 900 kids in prison in the uh, UK, 900 here are under the age England of 18 in England and Wales. Um, yeah, and that's dropped by two thirds over the last 10 years. 900 is not a lot of kids, that's yeah. like less than I think
0: it'd be way more than that.
1: It's less than it's fewer kids than are at my secondary school. Yeah. So like, I it wouldn't be very hard to invest the resources to give each of those children the support they need. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna skip the next two because they require a bit more uh, explanation. Um. I think we need to end the use of gang databases, which basically quite a lot of explanations Well, they basically put black people on databases who haven't necessarily committed crimes right. um, and then that makes them very vulnerable to like future arrest for minor crimes and then long sentences
0: wow that is that's heavy
1: yeah it's a it's a big issue how do
0: I not even how do I not know that there's something called a criminal data, what's it called a gang, a gang database?
1: database police there's police data. wow that's another
0: episode right there yeah that's insane
1: um, and I think Think, like, so we've seen a big uh, sentencing inflation, so sentences are getting longer. I think yeah. we need to address that. Right. Um, I think we also could re our probation system. So the probation system was privatised in 2015, and this has led to like a huge number of recalls to prison. So there's people who get sent back to prison um, while they're on probation after having left for things like missing an appointment or being in the wrong area of town. Um I think we need to end that kind of mandatory 12-month supervision after prison. Okay. To stop that cycle of just going back to prison for, sure. like stupid little things. So that's, like, a few actually, like, practical things yeah. I think a government could do right now. I think that's
0: really interesting, like, to, you know, I think we all can talk about sort of the fantasy of, you know, wow, the perfect society where, you know, whatever, dot, dot, dot. That, that, that sounds like really good, um, like... I hope you're listening, uh, Theresa May, to this podcast because you pay attention (laughs) to all of this. Um, Well, look, I I think we'll wrap things up there. Um, But that has been, God, what an education. I feel like, like, A, I know so little about this. But B, I'm almost kind of concerned how few people probably know, as much as you know, and the people that you have, you know, are educated on this, like, why it's not a bigger discussion. Like, why is this not being had? And I take it back to the guy that I was talking to yesterday who, like I say, was like, well, what else would we do You know, if we didn't have prisons? Like, what, what? People should be running around and, like, not getting punished and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and I guess it's just people, like, just being a little bit open-minded about it. And yeah, and it's
1: understandable that people feel like that. They feel scared. Absolutely. Um, because that's what we get fed. Totally. So it's a conversation that needs to happen. Hey, it's
0: part of the trifecta, the media, corporation and government. Mm-hmm. All Just that kind of percolating um, trifecta. Yeah. Well, look, Una, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks I for re- having me. Yeah, yeah, more than welcome. i have been on
1: for over an hour and a half. Oh, no, I loved how? it. You, I, I, I could and... be here
0: for another hour, easily. <laughs> um, just want to give a little shout out to your podcast. What's the name of it?
1: It's called The Lockdown. Um, you can find it on... Navara Media's website, or you can subscribe to Navara Audio. Um, on any podcast app
0: amazing Uh, there's also a link in the description of this video if you're watching on YouTube and also if you're listening to this on any podcast platforms there'll also be in the description um, the Twitter handle for for Una's podcast as well which you can check out well look guys um, anyone who's stuck with us this far thanks so much for um, watching and listening I hope you enjoyed it by all means feel free to reach out Um, you can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Jack Conan Burke uh, or if you want to email you can also do that at info at berkfilms.co.uk so I just want to say thanks once again Una for joining me uh, this week yeah Uh, and I will catch everyone else next time Um, all the best bye now so there we have it guys episode five done and dusted what did you think do you enjoy it I just want to say once again massive shout out and big thanks to Una for joining me on that podcast it was great to have her on you could see the passion and the knowledge that she has for the subject of prison abolitions and it was really great for me to sort of learn a little bit more about it. Make sure if you have any further questions for Una you get in touch with her on her Twitter at unski. or if you want to listen to more podcasts about the subject you can check out Una's Prison Abolition podcast called The Lockdown and if you go to Twitter at The Lockdown Pod you'll be able to find links to check it out. If you want to get in touch with boring old me you can do. My Twitter and Instagram is at Jack Conan Burke, J-A-C-K-C-O-N-A-N-B-U-R-K-E. Or you can email me, info at burkefilms.co.uk. So that's all, folks. I hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you hit follow uh, on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on so you can be notified when the next episode is ready, which will be next week. Not sure what we're doing yet, but I guarantee it'll be a good one. So that's it, folks. Uh, That's all from me. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you next time on Jack Talks 2. Peace.